Start reading in verse 10. If you are there, shout yes. yes. If you love God, say right on. Verse 10. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Check the sentence out. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name, my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in Him. And again, He says, here I am and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus too shared in their humanity so that by His death, He may destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Surely it is not angels He helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, He had to be made like His brothers in every way in order that He may become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that He might make atonement for the sins of the people. Here's our key verse. Because He Himself suffered when He was tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. Therefore, holy brothers, who share in the heavenly calling, fits your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we profess. Verse 18, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You know, friends, in our lives, one question we need to find an answer for is where is Jesus when we go through difficult times? When we face adversity, what is His reaction to us when we go through trial? In our lives, what does God think of us when we are tempted? Because if there's one thing that I know to be true of life, it is that the way we think about someone's reactions will determine the way we interact with them. If we expect a reaction from somebody that is hostile, then we're unlikely to get close to them. If we think that they will reject us, then we will remain at a distance from them. Whether you want to be near somebody or whether you want to be far from somebody is going to come back ultimately to what we believe they think of us. And when it comes to our God, this represents for us no end of challenges when we're considering what does God think of us? Not, not superficially, but in our hearts and in the way that we outwork our lives, in the way we approach God in seasons of trial, in seasons of difficulty, in seasons of temptation, in moments of failure. What we believe about God is going to determine the way we interact with Him. 
And we have no end of challenges with this because our God is a holy and perfect God. Let's not make any mistake about it. The God of the universe is not average. He's not mediocre. Jesus is not a slightly better man. He is the God who became man. Without blemish, without fault, without imperfection, our Saviour is a holy and perfect God. He has never given way to jealousy, never harbored unforgiveness, never chosen resentment, never acted out of pride or selfishness. He's never, he's never given way to lust. The God of the universe is in thought, word, action, and deed, a holy and perfect God. Not only that, but in the Old Testament, they had a high priest over our faith, who would come into the Holy of Holies. They had the temp tabernacle where they worshiped and it had the outer court, the inner court, and then what's described as the Holy of Holies where the presence of God dwelt. And the high priest, only the high priest, entered in to the Holy of Holies once a year. And whenever he entered, they would put a bell around one of his feet and a rope around the other one of his feet. And he would go into the Holy of Holies and they would listen Listen for the jingle and listen for the jingle because maybe there was sin in the life of the high priest or sin in the people of Israel. And if there was, the high priest, because he was trying to approach a holy and perfect God, would be struck dead by the presence of sin and they would use the rope around his other foot to pull him out from the holy place where the presence of God dwells. And this is a challenge, isn't it? Because in our lives, we need to ask ourselves the question, where is God when we feel sinful? I don't know if I'm the only one, but I believe I'm not, who in their lives can often be tempted in the outworking of our faith, again, in our heart responses, to live in a way where we feel that holy is somehow synonymous with angry, or perhaps superior, aloof, above, removed, detached, not involved, not really present, not actually understanding. It's easy to see God as a figure that is up in heaven who looks down on us and He is perfect and we are sinful. He is somehow better and we are somehow less. And He is somehow at a distance and therefore not involved. And the way we view God and the way we think about God and the events, situations, setbacks, trials, hardships, temptations that we face, the way we think about Him influences the way we go through the events of our lives. True? Have you ever walked into a room or been invited to an event and when you got there, everybody's dressed a whole lot better than you are? Like, you know, maybe you got, a, you got an invitation and you thought it was to a barbecue, but it was actually to a banquet. And maybe you've ever walked into an event, you know, and you're kind of like, you turn up and you're tracky dacks. Good Australian word that, you know. You got your old sneakers on, a few scuffs, you know, a little bit of, of the rubber coming away at the, the heel. You've got your T-shirt on. You're kind of there just to chill, just to kind of hang out, you know, just to, just to have a little moment, maybe flip a few steaks on a barbecue, and then you walk in. And when you walk in the door, everybody in the room is dressed to the nines. I mean, you know, all the guys have got their suits on. You know, they're looking pretty great. All the girls got heels. You know, everyone's looking really flash, and you walk in and you're thinking, hang on a minute. I thought this was a barbecue. I actually am here at a banquet. And when you feel that, when you feel that somehow everybody in the room has got something that you haven't got, 
when somehow you feel like you're not quite at the same standard as everybody else that is in the room. The temptation for us on so many occasions is the thing I have got to get out of here. I've got to leave this room. I want to get around some people who are dressed like me. I want to hang out with some people who are like me. This is not my place. This is somebody else's place. And then we, we cower, we hide, we run away. We don't have confidence in our lives. And it's easy to be like that. Not only when we're invited to an event, it's easy to be like that in our relationship with God. Truth is, friends, this is perhaps where the stronghold of sin really begins to dominate our lives because we are aware that our shoes are scuffed and that God is not. We're aware that we're not really perfect and that God is. We know that there are imperfections in us. And when we feel that, when we become awakened to that reality that I'm in the room, but I'm not the same as the God that's in the room, it's easy to run when we should stay. This is what we see in the life of Adam and Eve when the Bible tells us sin originally jumped into the history books of this universe when Adam and Eve chose to be independent from God rather than to live their lives in dependency to Him and sin entered into this world. The Bible says that Adam and Eve, their immediate reaction to sin and knowing that they were flawed was that their eyes were open, they realized they were naked and they wanted to improve the way that they looked. They made coverings for themselves out of fig leaves. And then they hid in the shadows from the presence and the person of God. And you know what? It's not too dissimilar in the 21st century as it was at the dawn of time where you and I, instead of feeling like we can approach God, come to God, be in the presence of God, it's easy to feel like God is good and we are not. And rather than coming to Him, to run from Him. True? Adam and Eve, we find it in others. We, in the Bible, we find it in the life of not only Adam and Eve, but we also find it in Peter when he fell and disappointed God and denied Jesus three times at the time of Jesus' arrest, standing there in the courtyard while soldiers were beating up on our Savior. He's asked the question, don't you know him? And he says, I don't know him. Ask him again, I, I thought I saw you with Jesus. No, you never saw me with Jesus. And then finally, he goes off his rocker with swearing. Oh man, I've never peeped, been there, peeped, Jesus, peeped. And then Jesus looks at him and the Bible says that Peter ran from that courtyard and then spent the next season of time after he denied Jesus, going back to fishing, full of a sense of inferiority. I'm a failure. I don't measure up. I couldn't live the life God wanted me to live. And when you and I feel like somehow God is up there and we are down here, He has a standard and we don't match it, that we are sinful, sorry, we are sinful and He is holy. It's so easy to distance ourselves when we feel like we don't measure up. And the truth is, my friends, that this feeling, this heart truth, this personal belief is perhaps the most powerfully impacting influence in the way that you and I are going to live our lives. Because as a Christian, I have access to the God of all grace, the God of all power, the God who made a way for me where there is no way, who conquered the grave, who has healing in His hands, and the God of the universe is for me and not against me. But if I'm living my life unsure of His acceptance, doubting His belief in me when I go through difficult moments, it's easy as a Christian to feel like God loves you when you're doing good. 
But what about when you're not? I mean, when you're having one of those rare days when you've just only treated, you know, your spouse with love and kindness, you know, bought her a cup of tea, haven't been grumpy, you've been awake, treated the kids absolutely perfectly, everything's going well, you didn't speed in your car on the way to the office, you're nice to the work colleague who took the better workstation than you, you know, and things aren't going your way and you're still choosing to praise, then you get a fine at lunchtime, you know, someone sends you an email, you've got a $100 fine and you're like, oh, that's all right, God's in charge. I mean, on the rare days that you're actually like that, it's easy to come to God. But when you wake up and you're kind of like, rather than being nice to your wife, you're a little bit grumpy because you haven't had enough sleep. You bark at the kids. You speed in the car. You react badly when someone, oh, I wanted that desk, you know, and then everything's tense. And when you're having those moments when you'd really prefer that people don't know that you're a Christian. <laughs> come on. Anybody else out there is not really sure they want a Christian bumper sticker on their car? It might not give God the kind of glory you're looking for. <laughs> on those days, on those days, it's so easy to live our lives with a feeling like somehow the God of the universe is at a distance to us and we are in it alone and somehow because God is not with us that our lives are not gonna be the life that we wanna have. I mean, I know we've got good words to say with our mouths, and I know we sing songs, you saw me, you loved me. But I'm talking here this morning, not about the rhetoric of our faith, but about the lifestyle of our faith. About the way that you and I actually live our Christian lives. I mean, there's no better example of two ways of seeing God than in the lives of the 12 spies that went into the promised land. Because the Bible says that 10 of them walked into the promised land and when they saw it, they're like, oh man, you know, it's so big. There's so many challenges. There's adversities. We're not that great. We're looking at that. We could never do it. I mean, we're gonna fall flat to our, fl our flat, 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 we're gonna fall flat to our faces. Say that three times quickly. But then the Scripture says that there's two that were with the 10 and you're either the 10 or the two who looked at this and they're like, hang on a minute. This is new, formidable. It's easy to feel like God, what God has for you, you're not qualified for. It's easy to look at what God was wanting to take us into, a blessed life, a better family, improved relationships, and to feel like somehow you're the kid in the sneakers when you should be wearing the tux. And the two went, hang on a minute. We might not feel like we got the, the gear for this, but God is with us. And if God's with us, who cares whether we got the three-piece suit or whether we don't? Man, if God's with us, we can take this thing down. We can be victorious. Because if God is with us, then that changes everything. And you know what, guys? It's so easy for us as believers to live like the 10 rather than to live like the two. Think about David with Goliath. There's only one way a teenage boy descends a valley to confront a giant. And everybody in this room is gonna have a giant in their lives. We're gonna have a bad sickness report. We're gonna have a, a, a financial challenge, a marital conflict, something big, challenging, foreboding, intimidating, all-consuming that stands in front of us and says, I defy you. 
A nation ran in fear of fighting men. 800,000 soldiers are intimidated by Goliath. But the Bible says that David was willing to descend that valley and to confront that giant. And he said, you come against me with sword and shield and spear. But I come against you in the name of the Lord. In other words, God's with me. It doesn't matter how big you are. God is for me. And whether we feel like God is or whether we feel like God isn't is gonna make the difference between whether we descend the valleys and confront the Goliaths of our life or not. It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who said, hang on a minute, we will never bow, we will never give way. The God we serve is able to save us. And even if He doesn't, we will never give way to what you want. And so Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fiery furnace. And the Scripture says that there were then four men in the fire, three thrown in, four in the fire, and the fourth was like the Son of Man. We know the name of the Son of Man, and His name is Jesus. And when you know that God is on your side, you'll go through hardship, we'll go through difficulty, face challenges, have overwhelming issues and find the God who is with us in whatever it is we face. Our God is with us. See, friends, whether we, what we think about what God thinks about us is gonna make all the difference in the world. That's why when I read Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18 recently, it was like my heart began to soar and my theology was even challenged as I read verse 18 and it says, because He Himself was tempted, because He Himself suffered when He was tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. See, it's easy for you and I to have a picture of God that He is somehow aloof, distant, superior and above. But that is not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is that divinity was wrapped in humanity, that Jesus came to this planet. And when Jesus came into our human condition, He stepped into it fully and completely. And what He did on this earth, He did from His humanity and not from His divinity. Or the cross is of no effect. But because Jesus stepped into our humanity, God came to us. Jesus empathizes with our temptations. It's easy to think of a God who's never felt what we feel. It's easy to consider a God who has never wanted to lash out at those that hurt us. A God, who, a God who's never felt the burn of lustful passion, a God who's never desired to take, to benefit self. But this is not the God we worship. The God we worship, the Scripture says, was tempted in every way that you and I are tempted, yet without sin. And because He suffered when He was tempted. In other words, He didn't just kind of experience it on the edges of the peripheries, what you feel He felt. What we've encountered, He has encountered. When we're going through absolute rubbish, when we've experienced all kinds of stuff in our lives, whatever we've gone through, Jesus has borne it in His own humanity, took it to the cross. 
And because of that, we come to a Jesus who's not removed from it, but a God who is acquainted with our issues. He has experienced our temptations. That messes with my head. How about yours? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, in case you're wondering where I'm going. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. He's not looking at us with an aloof and superior judgment. He comes to us as Jesus, a Savior who understands our condition. He has felt the agony of our trials. He knows our challenges. And because He has experienced our temptation, He can help us when we are tempted. And man, church, this is gonna change everything when it begins to connect with the way that we live our Christian lives. Because for so many believers, their, their confidence in God's endorsement, their, their willingness to let God be part of their daily life is conditional on how they feel about their daily life. And so when we have good days, we come to God, we read our Bible, we'll attend church, we listen to praise and worship music. On bad days, we don't read the Bible, we don't come to church, we listen to country and western music because everybody knows it's the devil's music. And man, this changes everything when we realize that when you and I are experiencing temptation or even fail, we do not serve a God who looks at us and says, oh no. We serve a God who looks at us and says, I know, I empathize, I'm involved, I felt it. And if that God found a way through that temptation, if He made a way through whatever thing you think is gonna label you for the rest of your life, define your existence, bind you up, hold you back. If, if that sentence of that sickness or that challenge or that bill, whatever, is gonna be over you forever, you can realize that you and I come to a high priest on our faith who has suffered in every way. And because of that, He is able to help us in our hour of need as well. He is able, to deliver us out of every trial. He is able to help us with everything that we face. How amazing is it that in the Old Testament, we had one person who could stand in the Holy of Holies and when he did, he needed a rope around his ankle to be dragged from it if there's sin in his life. But because of Jesus, we now can all come into God's presence freely, without blame, without accusation, stand in His presence and get what we need. That's the gospel. The gospel is the removal of judgment, freedom from fear, the ability to access a God who is involved in our lives. Oh man, my message for us this morning, church, is simply that He understands. Jesus understands. He understands whatever it is we face. And He doesn't want you and I living our lives removed from Him. He wants us living our lives involved, letting Him have access because He understands He's able to help. He's felt our pain. He knows our difficulties. He not only cares, He empathizes. He is acquainted, acquainted with everything that we face. Does that rock your world? 
Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18 says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Check out this next verse, Hebrews 4, 16. Therefore, sorry, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. That's the key word, isn't it? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our hour of need. <laughs> Again, man, it's easy to stand before the throne of grace with confidence when it's not your hour of need. When your lipstick, ladies, is perfect, when your hair's you know, had a straightener on it or a curler or whatever it is, when everything's looking good, then everybody wants to be seen by God. Everybody wants to be seen by others. Fellas, when, you know, when everything's looking fly, when you're feeling too cool for school, you know, then man, you, you're willing to let other people see you. You're willing to be put on display. But what about when it's in your hour of need? What about when the mascara is running? What about, what about when the shoes have got hole in them, holes in them and you've got no job? What about, what about when you feel like a failure? What about when you haven't been the man or the woman that you want to be? When you've made foolish choices, when you have given way to temptation? What then? Do we then just want to stay away from God for a long time? Easy to do, isn't it? But that's not what God wants for you and I. He wants us to come to the throne of grace in our hour of need, when we need Him, when life is hard, when we have, when we have made foolish choices. Even when we are faithless, He remains faithful. I'm not preaching license for sin. I'm preaching power to break sin. I'm declaring to us this morning that when you come to God, He can help you to overcome it. He can move you forward in life. What the devil wanted for Adam and Eve was just for them to stay cowering forever. Because God said, I put you here to rule and to reign, to have dominion, to make an impact. And if you're afraid of the shadows, what kind of dominion do you have? But when you can stand tall and confident, when you can come into life, and say, so even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. I will fear no evil because you are there. Then man, my friend, you can actually live the life God wants you to live. And for many believers, it's like, I fear no evil. I'm a failure. Whoops. Read the Bible today. Made the wife a coffee. Hallelujah. Grumpy with the kids. And all that's happening is that impact's being retarded. The, 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 the power you could have with your life, we're not living it out. And that's why God wants you and I to understand that we serve a faithful and high priest who was, suffered when he was tempted. And because of that, even when we are absolutely at our worst, he has got what we need. And that's why we have to run to him, even when we feel like running from him, because he is the only one with all the power and all the answers for every situation and every failure in our lives. Hebrews chapter two is like a message in a scripture. He's not ashamed to call us brothers. We have a high priest who can empathize with us. Oh man, you know, it goes on. He suffered when he was tempted. Fix your thoughts. I love Hebrews 2. What about Romans 8? 
What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with Jesus now graciously give us all things? In other words, if he gave me heaven as my home, he won't step out of my life when I can't get a job. He's not detached from my life when I am a failure. If he gave me heaven by his grace, he'll give me an answer for my job, a, a, a solution for my temper, a turnaround for my marriage. If He gave me salvation, He's invested and He cares about all. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and John Cameron, go to arise.org.nz or follow them on Twitter at John Cameron NZ and at Arise Church.